Mr Speaker, the only mandate she's ever had is from members opposite. It was a mandate built on fantasy economics and it ended in disaster. The past few months have been rough for the United Kingdom. The country's got nothing to show for it except the destruction of the economy and the implosion of the Tory party. Now the UK is looking for a reset and what a historic reset they're getting. Good morning. I've just been to Buckingham Palace and accepted His Majesty the King's invitation to form a government in his name. Rishi Sunak is the country's third prime minister in seven weeks, but the first ever non-white prime minister. It is only right to explain why I'm standing here as your new prime minister. But when Sunak took office last week, he had a dire warning. Right now, our country is facing a profound economic crisis. The aftermath of... In other words, he has a lot of work to do. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, essential news from the LA Times. It's Friday, November 4th, 2022. Today, we leave the midterms in the United States for the problems facing the new British prime minister, his plans to fix them, and why you should care. Joining me from London is my LA Times colleague and foreign correspondent, Javed Kalim. Javed, welcome to the Times. Thank you for having me. Okay, three prime ministers in seven weeks. Man, Britain is sounding like a Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel. So how did the United Kingdom get to this point? It's at once a long story and a very short one. It sounds like a Marquez novel. (laughs) (laughs) So it began during COVID, but really early this year, when Boris Johnson, now the former, former prime minister, and his cabinet was exposed for being part of these wine and cheese soirees, parties. Johnson has recently struggled to turn the pages on months of ethics scandals, most notably over rule-breaking parties in government buildings during coronavirus lockdowns. And their lockdowns were a lot worse than ours. They were very strict. So they were exposed for being hypocritical. I take full responsibility for everything that took place on my watch. Not only that, but then also Boris Johnson was found out to be very kind of dodgy and vague and had botched responses over whether he knew about a certain official who got a high up job from him about whether he was sexually harassing people. So there were different things that added up and basically his entire cabinet, they resign. He's inflicted lies, fraud and chaos in the country. So he's backed into a corner. He has to leave. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new prime minister. So that sets up a contest about who will replace him. And uh, there's a whole group of people, but there's two who who are left, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak. Liz Truss was the former foreign secretary, the secretary of state, basically, perhaps best known recently for dealing with Russia and the war in Ukraine. And uh, Rishi Sunak was opposing her. He was the finance minister under Boris Johnson. And Liz Truss easily won. It's an honor 
to be elected as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. She had more experience in politics. She had a higher, more global position in the UK governments. And she also was uh, just a more politically supported figure, so to speak. I'd like to thank the party chairman and the Conservative Party for organizing one of the longest job interviews in history. Thank you very much. So she wins this contest to be the uh, prime minister in September. But then she just does everything she can in her power to make things worse for her in the country, really. How'd she do that? I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. She campaigns on tax cuts, which is not unusual anywhere. (laughs) But she has no plan to make up for the tax cuts. So she says, let's cut taxes by basically $50 billion. But she doesn't have any answer for how to make up that money. And it sent the markets crashing, the pound crashing. The Bank of England has taken emergency action to stabilize British financial markets after the government spooked investors with a program of unfunded tax cuts. So she, like her predecessor, was backed to a corner and had to resign. Given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. Which clears the way for Rishi Sunak last week to become Prime Minister, the guy who ran against her seven weeks after losing. Now he is Prime Minister. What's Sunak's story? He's a relative novice in politics and in public office. He's a Conservative from Richmond in North Yorkshire, a uh, rural, wealthy white district in the north of England. He came into office in 2015, so not that long ago, seven years ago. And his first major role in national politics, or the way folks came to know him, was that during COVID, he was the finance minister under Boris Johnson. And just like in the US where people were unemployed, offices were closed, same thing there in the UK. They had a national program where companies were supported by the government to essentially shut down and still get paychecks for their workers. And Rishi Sunak was kind of the face of this program. He's also the first person of color to be prime minister. So it's a monumental moment in many ways, just because of the timeline, how quick it happened, the chaos in the governments, as well as just being a first in terms of your race. So what's Sunak's plan to handle the economic situation that Liz Truss left him in? We don't exactly know, actually. We're not totally sure. He's recognized that things are bad. Inflation is, you know, through the roof. It's more than 10%. It has not been that high in 40 years. People's housing costs are going up. Food prices are going up. People can't afford to eat basic staples at this point. Wow. Pubs, a national institution pubs, you know, there's thousands of pubs. They serve drinks and food and fish and chips and so on and so forth. They're the one thing you can expect to stay the same. They're closing. So he said the country is in a profound economic crisis. And for now, what he's doing is basically not causing any more havoc. The government I lead will not leave the next generation, your children and grandchildren, with a debt to settle that we were too weak to pay ourselves. So the next few weeks, Sunak has to have his government put forward a budget, which will lay out his plans for what's next for the country. I will unite our country, not with words, but with action. There's a a lot of issues out there um, that he's facing, and he's hoping to, I imagine, try to solve some of them. Coming up after the break, 
how Rishi Sunak's problems extend beyond the economy. Javid, the economic stuff that's happening in the UK, it's a big issue, obviously. But there's also the matter of Rishi's party, the Conservatives. Who are they? So the Conservatives, they're also called the Tories. They've been in power for 12 years, since 2010. Multiple prime ministers, multiple representatives. Yeah, I always thought the Conservatives and Tories were two completely different parties. Now, This is why you listen to the podcast. Right. Well, it's like saying the GOP and the Republicans. Yeah, okay. They're the the same thing. So the Conservatives, they've been in power since 2010. In 2019, they had this humongous election victory, uh, the biggest victory since 1987. Good morning, everybody, my friends. Well, we did it. We did it. We pulled it off, didn't we? They won so many seats in governments. The party won an 80-seat Commons majority, its biggest since 1987. Glorious. And it was under Boris Johnson. He is and was this, you know, renegade, populist kind of figure who was a great campaigner. He got people really behind him. I, of course, want to congratulate absolutely everybody involved in securing the biggest Conservative majority since the 1980s. But since then, their popularity has really come crashing down. A bit under Boris Johnson, for sure, but especially under Liz Truss. You know, it it really comes down to your bills, comes down to whether you can afford to pay for your housing, how your retirement account is doing, how your mortgage is doing, these basic things. And the conservatives now are seen in polls as a party that really has not helped the people. I don't get this, though. You say that the conservatives have had three prime ministers in less than two months but I don't remember hearing about any elections for a prime minister in the UK. No. So it, it's a different system than the US. In the US, we elect our Congress people, we elect senators, we elect the president every four years. In the UK, it's a parliamentary system. Whichever party is in the majority, and it's the conservatives, it's been them for a long time, they get to choose among their elected people who will be the prime minister, who will be their party leader, and thus the prime minister. And when resignations happen, they had to choose somebody else. So they haven't had an election that regular, everyday people have voted in since 2019, and they don't have one scheduled until 2025. Wow. So is there maybe, given all the chaos, the possibilities of an earlier general election? How would that happen? You know, I actually was curious about that too. I spoke to a professor, Victoria Honeyman, at the University of Leeds. Hello, Hello. it's me. Hello. Hello. Hi. Sorry, that's my dog. And she said she doesn't see them doing that. All of the polling suggests that if they were to call a general election today, even with Sunak in Downing Street, the expectation would still be that Labour would win that general election and would win it relatively easily. So if there was an election today, a general election, the Labour Party, the more liberal party, would absolutely crush their competition and win. There have been a number of upsets, but I don't think that the Conservative Party is going to want to take a chance on that. They are going to cling to power, either until they have no choice but to call a general election, or if they feel at some point in the next couple of years that things are going so fantastically well that they really do think that they've got a fighting chance of of winning, then I think that they will go for it. So what can we see instead? 
So Sunak is jockeying now to keep his party together and get ready for the best possible general election in the UK. So Victoria told me that unlike in the US, UK politics don't revolve so much around a single person or personality to get the party together. Boris Johnson did some of that and he had some of that power or charm to him and he was sometimes compared to Trump, but really it's not the same. It's interesting, this kind of personality politics, because obviously presidential systems lend themselves to personality politics. Ultimately, you go into a voting booth and you vote for somebody, a particular individual. We don't have that in this country. There's really no Trump-like figure in the UK for conservatives like there is for Republicans in the US, which means that Rishi Sunak has to deal with a lot of factions in this party. And at the moment, the Conservative Party has lots of different factions in it. So there's the personality ones. You've got the people who backed Johnson versus the people who backed Rishi Sunak. Then there are people who divide themselves on policy in the Conservative Party. You've got those on the right of the party. They label themselves up as being kind of libertarians. They want low taxation, low government intervention, high growth... Then on the other side of the party, you've got the One Nation Conservatives, who argue that actually you need to be able to support people within society. You know, in the UK, there's a big divide between London and the rest of the country, basically. Uh, London is the centre and the rest is sometimes forgotten. And you have issues on joblessness and manufacturing and all kinds of things going on. So you've got all of these different tensions in the party pulling in one way or another, demanding different things. And you can see how it's so hard for anybody, whoever it may be, who's at the centre of that, to determine where they should be spending money, what policies they should be focusing on, how they should be playing all of these different groups in order to get them to unite together. So unity is a big issue in the Conservative Party. But also, like I said, there's an election that's going to be coming up very fast. And Richie Sunak has to unite his party and get voters excited. What is he facing with the public? How do people in the United Kingdom feel about all this turmoil? So I actually went out and asked them. I'm here in Brick Lane in London. So this is a, a historically South Asian business uh, kind of neighborhood, mostly Bangladeshi. I went around London on a weekend. It was a very warm weekend. People were out and about everywhere. Now, keep in mind, it's London. So London's a lot more, more liberal than much more of UK. I spoke to a guy named uh, Dara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My name's uh, Dara. He's uh, from Ireland, from Dublin, but has lived in London for a while. And I'm a yeah, full-time organizer with International Social Alternative. And uh, he talked about how all this drama is just adding on top of all the pain already around just the basic needs of living that are dragging um, people down. You know, if you even go to the shop and stuff, you'll feel food prices going up. You have energy bills skyrocketing. You also have a horrendous housing crisis. He mentioned how he's seen all these strikes happening in the UK, more than usual. Transit strikes, train strikes, bus strikes, everything. And he thought that was a sign of how people are more fed up. Uh, and all of that, I think, is contributing to a generalized sense of, of discontent and anger at the status quo, that this can't go on. But I also think then... I also spoke to... A 17-year-old from the southeast of London named Zainab. I'm 17, I'm turning 18 next year, so I'm in sixth form. However, She even herself, as somebody who's 
about to graduate high school and going to college said that it felt like an unstable time to her. So like when it comes to politics, I've never really looked at it as much, but I feel as if the country's getting down as in like, we don't really know what we want in a sense, as in, you know, our former prime minister just dropped out. Now we've got a new prime minister. Hopefully he does a good job for United Kingdom. Do you get what I'm saying? That's about it, to be fair. She had lived through lockdowns during COVID and thought things were opening up in her country and kind of was excited and now sees that things are still running amok a bit. There's a general uncertainty about how British people feel about their place in the world. The politics are clearly very messy, as, you know, objectively speaking. The economy is shaky. The queen, this one figure who has been the stable figure, has died. So there's so much happening in this country where it just kind of throws into question what the identity of the place is. More after the break. Javid, you were telling us that a lot of British people feel like their country is facing an identity crisis. Wasn't that one of the main factors behind Britain's decision to leave the European Union a few years ago, that whole Brexit thing? Yeah, Brexit or British exit, however you want to define it. It was a campaign to, quote, take back control of the country. And that meant two things. One, it meant taking back control of your economy or your trade because the UK was part of the European Union a block of countries that decided together on their legal rules, their trade rules, so on and so forth. But also taking back Britain, there was a xenophobic aspect to it too. It was about taking back your country from people who are seeking asylum and trying to immigrate. And this had been building for a long time. The UK has always been kind of skeptical about the EU for a long time. Brexit was building under David Cameron. So he's several prime ministers ago, but not that long ago in years. (laughs) And um, he's a conservative as well. So people wanted to leave the EU. There was a vote and the vote decided to leave. That was the winning vote. Let's leave the EU. And that set off this whole series of events affecting you know, everything in the country. There's not any clear analogy in the U.S., but, you know, say they've always had this movement in California, the Bear Republic, to leave the U.S., right, be your own nation or such. Um, and California could do it in some ways because it has a lot of money and economy and people, but it'd be very complicated. There's a lot of laws, a lot of transportation. There's not a border to get to California from other states, at least. So in the U.K., they've had to figure out all of that. What's interesting to me about Brexit was there was that really big anti-immigrant sentiment and it wasn't just any specific immigrants. It really seemed like immigrants of color. And now the head, though, of the conservative party, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, he's a person of color. Yeah, it's interesting, right? It's again like a contrast to the U.S. where the more diverse party up at the top levels are the Democrats. In the U.K., when you see the first person of color as prime minister, it's the conservative party. And it's not just by accident. So conservatives in the UK, they actually made a point many years ago to handpick conservative people of color who are like rising stars. David Cameron, the four prime ministers, or maybe five, several prime ministers ago, he had what he called an A-list of women and people of color who he wanted to kind of foster to rise up in government. 
but it doesn't mean, you know, just because you're a person of color doesn't mean you're, you have very pro-immigrant kinds of views. You know, one of the top figures around how to manage the borders in the UK is Suella Braverman. She's the Home Secretary, um, which is the part of government that oversees the borders. And one of her big things has been how to deal with asylum seekers and migrants coming across the English Channel. And what they do right now is they send them to Rwanda for processing. That's not a a nearby country. That's a faraway place. So that's one example. And she's a person of color also. So while it's one thing to have diverse leadership, that doesn't translate to more pro-immigrant policies per se. And when I talked to Victoria Honeyman, she told me that it's not just a person's race that is important to consider. It's also their class. There is an argument that actually the thing that we need to look at the Conservative parties after we have congratulated them on their diversity is the idea of class within that. So Rishi Sunak, as well as, you know, a wide list of prime ministers over the last months and years and cabinet ministers, they've all gone to Oxford. If you look at, for example, the former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng, Oxford graduate, Liz Truss, Oxford graduate. Rishi Sunak, Oxford graduate. You begin to see a certain pattern of behaviour. Rishi Sunak grew up in Southampton in the UK, a few hours southwest of London. He was a son of immigrants from East Africa who were of Indian heritage. They were middle to upper middle class. They were not lower class at all. He went to Stanford, he went to Oxford, he worked for Goldman Sachs, he worked for various finance groups and hedge funds. His wife comes from a more wealthy background than him. She is the daughter of one of India's richest people, the founder of a company called Infosys, a a tech company. Rishi Sunak and his wife are estimated to be worth about £700 million, roughly. The question is... Would Rishi Sunak, privately educated at Winchester, Oxford graduate, and his daughter of a billionaire wife, be able to understand what it's like to have to rely on the NHS for your operation or to have to use a food bank because your salary isn't enough to pay for all the things that you need in your life? So he's kind of seen as a guy who's smart, conservative, and very distanced from society, regular society. There was an example of him campaigning recently over the summer and he was shown going into like a gas station to pump some gas and like buy a coffee or an iced tea or something. And he didn't understand how to pay. Oh, no. For it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he wasn't sure how to use his card or what to do, which, you know, says he hasn't done that much in his life. On top of that, he's a supporter of Brexit. So, yes, he's a person of color, but he's also supports these policies and this movement. So how much of the fallout from Brexit does Sunak have to deal with? Well, I asked Victoria, and there's a lot of issues. Brexit is far from over, but there's two that are are really looming. So one is Northern Ireland. You know, there's Ireland, which is a separate country, which is part of the European Union. And right above it is Northern Ireland, which is part of the United Kingdom. And that whole difference has been part of a long conflict, one that was very violent over the years, over the decades. But there's a precarious peace there now. The border between Northern Ireland and Ireland is not just, as Victoria said, a straight border. The Northern Irish border can weave in and out. You can be on a road and you can go from Ireland to Northern Ireland half a dozen times because the road weaves in and out. So it's not a nice straight border. There's all these issues around 
trade and exchanging goods, food, potatoes, everything. She described it as kind of a tinderbox where it's peaceful, but just if you poke at it too much, there's a risk of really badly affecting the peace there. It's like spinning plates, but instead of spinning plates, you are spinning Ming vases that at any moment could fracture, could crack. That's the kind of level of delicacy that is required. The other issue is that Liz Truss's government put forward a law that would scrap all EU laws by 2023. That's, you know, thousands of laws and legislation. And you have to replace those with something. You can't just get rid of them. That's also looming. And what to do with that, you know, continuation of separating from the European Union. There's a lot going on. It's like the worst divorce in the world where you try and figure out who owns which CDs when in actual fact you bought them together and therefore nobody really owns them. You try and kind of pull your lives apart. So you've got all of those intractable, difficult, really complicated political issues to deal with. But at the heart of it is still the same old question about Brexit, which is, what does Britain want to be? What do the British people want to be? What do they want the United Kingdom to look like in the 21st century? Finally, Javed, we're about to have an election here in the United States. And one interesting thing that you notice if you you know pay attention to bigger world trends is that the United States and the United Kingdom tend to follow each other politically. So when Reagan was getting power, he was just following in Margaret Thatcher's footsteps back in the early 1980s, and they both did the same economic austerity thing. Or no one thought Brexit was ever going to happen, just like no one ever thought that Donald Trump would ever become president. So are there any lessons from Sunak and just everything that the Tories are going through, their whole recent debacle for us here before the midterms happen? Yeah, it may seem like the UK is this kind of um, small country far away that they share our language and speak with a different accent and, you know, eat fish and chips and so on and so forth. They're eating more tacos now, I hear, in the United Kingdom. Oh, they're not They're not so good. I've tried them. But <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it might seem like a faraway place. But Victoria, what she told me was that she wouldn't say it's really the US following the UK or, or the UK following the US. She would say it's these major players in the country who are in the same sort of economic and political place and dealing with the same changes in their country and figuring out how to respond to it. I think it's more that countries face the same types of circumstances at the same types of time, and they can very often look to the same types of solutions. And one thing that I thought was really smart that Victoria said was that the UK and the US have faced this issue of the more liberal party struggling to depict itself as something more than just the opposition. So in the UK, the Labour Party will say, we're not the conservatives. We will give you a leadership and a prime minister and not cause havoc. In the US, uh, there were a lot of voters and Democrats who said, well, you know, Joe Biden is, is not Donald Trump. And there's more things to say about him, but that alone should be enough for you to vote for us. Victoria said that's not a strategy. That's not a long-term strategy. They need to try and kind of attract voters to them rather than just collect the disaffected. Because there's only so long that Joe Biden cannot be Donald Trump. There's only so long that Labour cannot be Conservative. Because then it, your victory becomes based upon what the other guy is doing. I think that brings us to where we are right now with the elections looming. So you think Sunak lasts? 
So if I was to judge based upon history of the last few months, the answer is no. But <laughs> I think time will tell, really. I think he has his work cut for him. He's had a, more than a week in office. So that's one-seventh plus of his predecessor's time. And he has not caused any major havoc quite yet. We will see what happens. Javed, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, essential news from the LA Times. Kasha Borsalian and Ashley Brown were the jefas on this episode. Mike Heflin mixed and mastered it, and Hasmin Aguilera edited it. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Borsalian, David Toledo, and Ashley Brown. Our editorial assistants are Nicolas Perez and Roberto Torres. Our engineers are Mario Diaz, Mark Nieto, and Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera, Shani Hilton, and Heba Elorbani. And our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in this madre. Gracias. Gracias.